Thank you for choosing to listen to the sermons of the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ. We meet at 2309 9th Avenue in Haleyville, Alabama. And if you're ever in our area, we would love to have you as our guests. If you live in our area, we would love to study the Bible with you. You can call us anytime to study a Bible study or just to gain more information at 205-486-9247. Also visit our website, 9thAvenueCofC.com or check us out on Facebook by simply searching for 9th Avenue Church of Christ. Now we hope you'll join us for a study of God's Word as we seek to follow Him each and every day from the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ in Haleyville, Alabama. Let's go to our Father in prayer. I'm very excited about tonight's lesson, but I know that we're going to have to fly if you're going to get home and get in your comfy chair and see your TV show at any reasonable time. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you tonight. We thank you for the opportunity to be here. Lord, I don't know what everybody encountered this day. You do. They do. They know what they individually encounter. But Lord, for some, just to be here tonight, it could have been a rush. It could have been uh, very stressful to come. But they they love you. They love this church. And they want to support this good meeting. Lord, thank you. Please give them a measure of peace and a measure of calm tonight as they are amongst your people. Lord, please help them take a deep breath and enjoy this time of worship. Heavenly Father, for those who are visiting tonight who who worshipped at their home congregations yesterday, but chose to come out and to support this good congregation in this effort tonight. Lord, we are grateful for the church. It is wonderful to know that no matter what congregation that we are at, as long as we're walking in fellowship with you, that we are in fellowship with one another. And Heavenly Father, we're grateful for the family. Lord, I pray tonight that as we study this very, very relevant and important issue, that, that there may be one family that will take home a nugget tonight from your word and and from this, this, this lesson that will bless their life, I pray, Lord, that all of us will spend time evaluating this very, very timely topic. And I pray that I stay out of your way, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray tonight. Amen. You know, as you and I think about the concept of, of media, I don't know if you've ever stopped to think the way that the Bible describes uh, the, the current state of being in our world. You see, sometimes in our world, we see it in physical terms. But I want you to think tonight that that you may exist in the flesh. You may have flesh and bone. However, there is a spiritual aspect to who you are. Some have even said, and I quite honestly agree with, when you die, when I die, that it's our soul that will live on in eternity. That that's who you really are, is your your soul. That Jesus Christ came to die on the cross to save you from your sins. But it wasn't about your flesh and, and bones. It was about your soul. It was about your spirit. That aspect of which you were created in the image of God. You see, even though you and I operate and we see things of the physical nature, the Bible describes that there is spiritual warfare that is taking place around you. There really is a devil. There really is an adversary. Satan is real. And so is God. And there really are rights and wrongs. And there really are sons of light and sons of darkness. The truth of the matter is this, that until Jesus Christ comes back, that Satan is still given the title that he was by Jesus as the father of lies and the father even of this world, the prince of this world. That doesn't mean that he's more powerful than Jesus and he's more powerful than God the Father. But the indication behind that is this, that for a time... That Satan has the opportunity to bring things before you to try to make you veer away from God. He can't, he can't make you choose it, but he can sure put things in front of you. He can put teachings in front of you. You see, sometimes we forget that Satan is still real and he's still active. Tonight, I want you to know this. I firmly believe that as you and I look at this concept of spiritual warfare, that this subject tonight, dealing with learning to discern in the area of media, that we are dealing with what I would say is the largest missile that Satan is using against the American home today. It's not just in the sense of the television that you have. It's in the sense of the phone that all of us, probably at least the majority of us carry. Some of you may be still without the phone, and I get that. One brother told me that his father had not gotten the internet, right? He has real TV, not internet TV. But that's a rarity in our society anymore. 
You think about the missiles that Satan uses, and I'm mindful of Ephesians chapter 6. I'm mindful of the, the, the challenge to, to take on the full armor of God. I don't know if you've ever, ever slowed down to read Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 and following, and sometimes when we do so, we forget that this is still relevant today. You see, Satan didn't stop when sandals in biblical time went out of fashion. Satan didn't stop working when uh, the, the garments that were worn in the ancient Near Eastern time period when Jesus walked the earth and when the apostles walked the earth. Satan didn't stop then. Do you, are you aware tonight that Satan is fully aware that there's something called the Internet? Satan is fully aware that there is something called a television. He is fully aware that there's something called a cell phone. You see, the reason I know that is because Jesus hasn't come back yet. And that means that Satan is still active. Sometimes we forget he's just as real as the God that we pray to. That's why when you think about the spiritual warfare, I need you to be engaged tonight. And I need you to understand that the challenge to take up the full armor of God is just as relevant for you today as it was for the people in the days of Ephesus. The Bible reads this way, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 and following. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Let me ask you a question tonight, church. Do you believe that the devil is still scheming? Do you believe that he's still active, that he's still present? Or in your mind has he ceased to exist? The truth of the matter is this, that we, we understand that our enemy is a scheming enemy. Verse 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, since that's true, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. I will tell you this, when you think about why Paul would use the illustration that he did there and, and talk about the, the Christian walk and what it means to be a disciple in terms of military armor, you got to understand why he would say what he would say. You see, in that time period, the idea of the, the armor, that was basically what was going to protect you from their military or from the, the opposing forces uh, weaponry. But when it comes to the shield, you'll notice it's interesting. The shield has an extinguishing nature about it. Now, I don't like the translations that say flaming darts. That, that almost sounds like you're, you're sitting there playing darts with your buddy. Pew, pew. Satan's not throwing a dart. He's shooting arrows. And that illustration is this. In the days of battle at that time, the armies would oppose each other on the field. And the archers oftentimes would be the first ones that would drop their arrows. That would, I guess, be the equivalent in today's military tactics where our Air Force will go in and they will bomb and then the foot soldiers will come in. In that time period, the archers were the ones that would flood the sky with their arrows. And when those arrows would come, there would be formations that the enemy or the opposing force would go into with their shields, not only protecting themselves, but protecting other people. But you see, it wasn't that the armies would only use arrows in and of themselves. At times, they would light the arrows on fire. And they would shoot those arrows in the, in the sky. And some military historians who would, would recount this method and this tactic, they would say that the sky would light up with a massive fireball as these arrows would, would come raining down on the opposing force. As those individuals would put their shields up, many of them made out of wood, you can imagine what fire would do. You see, fire doesn't have to hit you directly to cause chaos in your, in your ranks. Fire can divide a, a, a rank and file military. And if it can divide you, then what happens is they can take you on in smaller amounts. And while you may have been the opposing, the bigger force, the 
dominant force when you were together. When the fire separates you, you're not as dominant anymore because you've lost your unity. So what they would do is this. They would take those shields and oftentimes they would wrap them in leather and they would soak them in water. These would be waterlogged pieces of wood that were soaked, that were wrapped in leather. And when these military individuals would go into the field and the fiery arrows would come down upon them, when the arrow would hit the shield, that's when the arrow would go out. That's why Paul, he's not dreaming of an analogy. He's telling them exactly what they know. He says, hey, your enemy has a scheme to defeat you. And if you are not properly prepared, you are going to die. And if you die, then the people beside you are not as strong. You think about what Satan is shooting at us today. And I will tell you this. There's a reason I believe this is the biggest missile, the biggest arrow that Satan is shooting at the American home today. I want to encourage you to consider tonight, though, that as we move forward in this, I'm not the guy who says all media is bad. As a matter of fact, I think there are some good redeeming qualities about media. Through media, you and I have the opportunity to be introduced to different cultures. We have the opportunity to research what it's like in China, what it's like in Australia, what it's like in the Middle East. And all of that can be done by by searching on the Internet or watching a documentary. We also understand that through, through media, we have a great unifying tool. You recall days of old before the TVs came out and families would gather around radios. Radio is a form of media. There were newsboys who would who would throw papers or they would sell papers on the street corner. Newspaper is a form of media. You see, today media has just changed a little bit as more print has gone out and more electronic has come in. But that doesn't change the fact that in days of old, after the attack on Pearl Harbor and people gathered to hear the speech that would come across the radio by the president, that was a unifying event. When John F. Kennedy was assassinated, I can remember seeing documentaries of people who would stop at TV stores and look at the television sets in the windows because that's where they heard first that the president had been assassinated or had been shot at that time. You think about the media and its unifying effect. You think about Super Bowl parties today. You think about World Series, championships, and sports You think about movies that maybe families will gather to watch. In our home, it's Little House on the Prairie. That's what we watch. Believe it or not, we're a blast from the past. I think we've watched every Andy Griffith at least three times. And now we're working our way through Little House on the Prairie. Say, why, Joe, with all those other good shows out? Oh, watch, if that's who you are, just pay attention tonight. It's because I really do take my job serious as a father. And I'll show you what I mean by that. I don't say that arrogantly. I say that because I recognize this. I have children whose hearts are really being led by my, by my leadership. And I better do a good job. See, I'm not opposed to media. Media is a great educa- educational tool. As a matter of fact, right now, I am using multimedia. So it'd be kind of disingenuous for me to tell you I'm against all forms of media, yet turn around and use multimedia, right? But I'm also not the guy who's naive. You see, I also understand this, that media has a way of presenting an unreal view of life. It has a way of oversimplifying life, and it has a way of desensitizing us to reality. You know, in the average TV show that comes on, the the main characters are introduced, the main problem is introduced, the main characters struggle with the main problem, and it reaches a climax all before in a perfect setting, if it's not a to-be-continued TV show, that problem is solved within a 30-minute time period. Now, let me ask you this. Is that real life? Is it real life to have all of your problems solved in 30 minutes? No. And you say, well, Joe, in the TV show, it takes some days to solve that. Yes, and I understand that, that that is the the show that they take you on this journey. But here's the problem. Studies will show that you physically and you emotionally go through a journey in a very short period of time where a problem is introduced, a problem reaches a climax, and then the problem is solved and you walk away feeling fulfilled. Have you ever watched a show or a movie that was a part one of a part two series? Or it was a, a show that had a to be continued and it was a cliffhanger? You ever heard about a cliffhanger on the end of a TV show? 
And if you ever watch that and then you, you leave it, and in today's society, young people don't get this, right? There was a time, young people, guess what? Where if the show came on at Tuesday night, you had to wait until the following Tuesday to see how it would end. Now on Netflix, they have what's called binge-watching. You don't have to wait till next Tuesday. Just wait 15 seconds and the next episode will start, right? Those cliffhangers were there for a reason. They left you hanging on because emotionally and in your mood, you did not have a conclusion that left you at peace. That's why I tell you it's unreal. We have shows today that desensitize us. Oh, I would never, I would never allow individuals into my house wearing skimpy bikinis. I would never allow individuals into my house drinking alcohol. And I definitely would never allow them into my house wearing the skimpy bikinis, drinking the alcohol in a hot tub. But I don't have a problem watching The Bachelor. I don't have a problem watching Bachelorette. You see, the problem is people justify based upon the reality of, well, it doesn't matter what I watch. You know what I've seen in my studies over and over again? is that for you, you may think it doesn't matter because it's make-believe. The problem is, we live in a culture today that has what's called reality TV. And reality TV, at times, is still scripted. But it's different than a movie like it used to be when Charlie Chaplin was on the screen. The truth is, it's more real to life. And you physically, at times, you won't separate fantasy from reality. You say, no, that doesn't happen. Yes, it does. And that's why people argue on this subject. Because they become desensitized to it. Ladies, let me ask you a question. Would you purposely put your husbands in front of a bunch of women wearing scantily clad clothes? And say, here, I want you to sit and watch this for 30 minutes and be entertained. Husbands, would you put your wife in front of a bunch of men who aren't dressed appropriately? And say, here for 30 minutes, I want you to sit here and be entertained. That's not real either. But you would never do that in real life. That's because we become desensitized. Desensitization is interesting. You know, I hate roofing. I don't know if some of you are roofers. I'm going to go ahead and just say this now. You're a better man than I am. And a better woman if if you're a roofing woman than I am a man, okay? Because the truth of the matter is, I have roofed very little in my life. And the times that I did roof, I ended up cutting my hands to pieces when it came to trimming. I'm not a fan of roofing. But the, one of the reasons I'm not a fan of roofing is, and I can swing a hammer, but you ever notice when you put that, that nail down and you swing, dum, 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 eventually you're going to hit one of those digits? You ever notice that before? And that first time you hit that thumb, where does the thumb go? Somebody, somebody, somebody show me. I know you don't, may not want to say. When you hit it, it goes in your mouth. That's exactly right. Have you ever wondered why? Why it is when we get injured, why do we put it in our mouth? And nobody has to say, hey, maybe you should put that in your mouth. Nobody has to offer that to you. See, I have a theory. I have a theory that there's healing power in spit. One of the seminars that I was doing at one time, I made that comment. And a dentist, he spoke up. He told me afterwards, he goes, there is healing power in spit. But it's got to be your spit. So next time you hit your thumb, don't stick it in your friend's mouth, okay? It won't work. Yeah, it won't work. But you notice this, though. When you hit your, your hand one time, it hurts pretty bad the first time, doesn't it? You know what I realize, though, is this, that if the more I roof, the more I'm going to hit it. And you know what I realized over and over again? First of all, I realized I probably shouldn't be swinging a hammer. That's the first thing that came to my mind. But then I thought, I have to do it because I'm not going to pay somebody to come do it. Right? So, poof, poof. You know what happens over and over again? Eventually, the thumb doesn't hurt as bad. Because I've destroyed the thumb. I've actually injured it to the point where it's already swelling and it doesn't hurt as bad as it did the first time it got hit. Some of us have been watching enough things on television and listening to enough things over the radio and looking at enough videos on our phones that we will argue that, you know what, this stuff doesn't matter because it's not real and I would offer this to you. It does matter to your eyes and to your purity. You see, when you and I think about media, I want to propose this to you. Tonight, there's going to be four basic points. You're going to see every one of them that come up just like this. Is that as we discuss media and learning to discern media, we've got to get to the crux of the matter. And that's this, that there's something about innocence that God expects, not just for children to maintain, but for all of His disciples to maintain. 
God's not interested in us claiming to follow Him while all the while indulging in activities that the rest of the world indulge in. And so when you think about this subject, I want you to think tonight about the purpose behind why we should even have a a lesson on learning to discern what media is all about. And I want you to know at the core of all of this is a concept that comes from Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23. And that concept is this. The Bible says, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. In other words, your heart is crucial to your life. And the Bible would say this, that your heart is at the center of what happens in your life. Because from your heart flows everything else in your life. You see, the Bible will hit this in multiple ways regarding the importance of the heart. In Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 9, the Bible will say this, Only give heed to yourself and keep your soul diligently so that you do not forget the things which your eyes have seen and they do not depart from your heart all the days of your life, but make them known to your sons and your grandsons. The idea is that in the Old Testament, if generational faithfulness was going to be had, then it was up to each previous generation to pass on the the commandments, the ordinances and statutes of God. It was going to be up to each previous generation to tell the next generation why God needs to be followed. Why is he worthy to be followed? But you see, at the core of all that is, it wasn't just about external activities. It was this concept of you need to make sure it doesn't leave your heart. Well, why would Moses, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, care if the teachings of God were on the heart or not? It's because whatever's on the heart comes out in life. You see, the Bible will go on to say in Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 39, that same particular topic, the Bible reads this way, Know therefore today and take it to your heart that the Lord, He is God in heaven above and on earth below. There is no other God. You see, in the Old Testament, there's no arguing that the heart was significant. But I would offer this to you. In Matthew chapter 12 and verse 34, the Bible points out in the New Testament that the heart is crucial to the way that an individual lives. The Bible says this as the Pharisees were being rebuked. The Bible says, you brood of vipers, how can you being evil speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. Or what about Matthew chapter 13 and verse 15? For the heart of this people has become dull. With their ears they scarcely hear and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they would see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts. You see over and over again, chapter 13 and verse 19. Chapter 15, multiple times we see the importance of taking care of the heart. Because the heart is the core of who you are. That is the seat of your will. It's the seat of your desire. In the Old Testament, some have even argued that the heart and the mind are used interchangeably. The reason that can be argued is because in that mindset, you who you are at your core is not the mushy-gushy, I heart you concept that people use today. You see, sometimes today when people use the phrase uh, of the heart, they talk about emotion. And while God created us emotional beings, in the Bible when it talks about how their heart is far from Him, that doesn't mean that there's an emotional disconnect only. That means at the core of who they are, there is something internally that is taking place that is called separation between them and God. That's why over in Matthew chapter 15 and verses 18 and 19, the Bible reads this way, but the things that proceed out of the mouth... They come from the heart, and those defile the man. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, slanders. And I would ask you this then, is it important what goes into the heart? Biblically speaking, it is. Biblically speaking, it's crucial. Not only to you, to your spouse, to your children... And to your grandchildren, it is crucial what goes into their heart. You want to know where adulteries first start? In the heart, according to Matthew chapter 15. You want to know where fornication first starts? In the heart, according to Matthew chapter 15. 
You want to know where murders start? In the heart. You want to know where thefts start? In the heart. You want to know where gossip starts? In the heart. You want to know where slander starts? In the heart. That's why the Bible tells us to guard our hearts. The New King James says vigilantly. The New American Standard says diligently. With all diligence. You know what diligence is? Diligence is eagerness. Diligence means this. You don't take a break. Diligence means you're not sitting back and maybe guarding it and maybe not guarding it. Diligence means on purpose. It means effort. It means forethought. It means that you actually have to exert some energy to pursue what you're saying you're guarding. I promise you this. I promise you this. Wives, if I were to tell you that it matters whether or not your husband will be faithful to you based upon what he puts into his heart, I promise you, wives, you would think hard about guarding the heart of your husband. Husbands, I will tell you this. If I were to tell you that it matters, your wife's faithfulness, depending upon what goes into her heart, you would want to guard her heart. And what if I told you this? Your children's faithfulness to God, it really does matter whether or not you guard their hearts. You see, if I go back to the Ephesians 6 concept and that of of warfare, one of the things that's interesting to me is this, that children don't have faith of their own. You think about what the shield was. It was the shield of faith. And in a family setting, those children, they don't have their own faith. They go to the church building because they love their Sunday school teachers or most likely because the parents have conditioned them and trained them to do so. And over time with teaching at home and teaching in the church, the goal is that that child will develop their own faith. But let me ask you this, dads and grandfathers, until your children or your grandchildren develop their own faith, whose shield is going to protect them from the fiery arrows of Satan? You think for one minute that Satan can't come after your young people? I promise you he will. You ever seen a lion hunt? You see, the Bible describes Satan as a roaring lion. He's seeking those whom he may devour. Have you ever seen a lion hunt? Does a lion go after the fastest and the strongest in the herd? Or does the lion go after the weakest and the slowest? The lion goes after the easy kill. Don't you think for one minute that Satan's only going to get serious about your children when they become teenagers? Don't you dare... Don't you dare underestimate him. You see, I know better than that. One time my children, we were watching TV. We, we used to have cable. We don't have cable anymore. But that doesn't mean we don't watch TV. Don't get me wrong. I've already told you we, we watch some TV. But I was getting ready for work or getting ready to do something. And I set my, my children, they were young at the time. And I believe we only had two at the time, down in front of the television. And Dora the Explorer was on. Right? Not the made real, you know, not the real thing that's coming out. I'm talking about the real cartoon, Dora. And a cartoon went off and a commercial came on. And it was in the commercial that I overheard from the room that was next door as I was getting ready to, to go for whatever purpose it was, where the commercial was bragging on how atheists are not bad people. That was a commercial during Dora the Explorer in the morning now, let me ask you a question. If you were the, the, the person behind the money of that commercial, why would you put it at that time of the morning when mom had just been rushing around, getting all the children out the door, maybe they just got on the school bus and now she's cleaning up the, the kitchen? Why would you pay money to put a commercial in Dora the Explorer that was talking about how atheists are good people? if it wasn't to reach the audience that Dora was for. I had an aha moment as a father. That aha moment was this. I don't get to take a break. I don't get to say, children, why don't you sit here in front of the TV while I go finish getting dressed? Because Satan doesn't take a break. I will tell you this, we've got to guard the hearts of our children. And one of the reasons that we do is because I want you to understand with media comes very real problems. 
You know, the Bible talks about in Romans chapter 6, and, and I know the basis of Romans chapter 6, so please, please bear with me in this. Romans chapter 6, the Apostle Paul through Romans chapter 1, he's already told the Gentiles that they're without excuse, that they need Jesus, and you can see the Jews are almost high-fiving them. So in Romans chapter 2, he tells the Jews they're without excuse. Romans chapter 3, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans chapter 4, Abraham was saved by faith, not by circumcision. Romans chapter Chapter 5, we have a big pool of grace. When we sin, as sin abounded, the grace uh, abounded all the more, right? So when Romans chapter 6 comes along, there are some rhetorical questions that are asked. Shall we sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. And so I understand the concept. This is dealing with salvation and the idea of that you're either going to be shackled to sin or you're going to be shackled to righteousness. And in your response to the gospel of Jesus Christ, that's where you make your decision who you will be shackled to. But within this context, there is a statement that is so profound. And that is this. You will be the slaves of the one whom you obey. You will be a slave of the one whom you obey. You know, when you think about what addiction is, we have to realize that addiction is simply defined as a persistent compulsive dependence on a behavior or on a substance. Do you recognize that shopping can actually be addicting? Do you recognize that buying shoes can be addicting? Do you recognize that buying tools can be addicting? You see, when you go through what, what addictions are, sometimes you and I, we focus on these particular addictions when we think of illicit drugs, pharmaceutical drugs, alcohol, tobacco. But what about behavioral addictions that are real? What about concepts like gambling, lust, shopping, or eating? Did you know that society even says today that you can be addicted to fast food? You can be addicted to fast food. If you've ever noticed that every time you drive by McDonald's, it seems your car just kind of veers in and you're not wanting it to. you got somewhere else to be. Or maybe it's that favorite gas station, right? Where those powdered donuts are in those little Debbie things. And you just, you always find your car going that way. You know, science has discovered that you can be addicted to certain elements within that food. As a matter of fact, when you think about addiction... The idea behind addiction to food is you crave for sweet and oily foods. You actually can be weak and shaky without fast food, feeling happy after your happy meal and having fast food more than once a day. Those are all signs of whether or not you're addicted to fast food. Addictions aren't just what we look at and say, well, drugs, drugs are addicting. Alcohol, gambling. No, addictions can be in any number of things including video games. Do you know it's possible for your child, or I'm going to start meddling, and I can because I quit on Wednesday night. Your husbands can be addicted to video games. It's absolutely possible. As a matter of fact, nationwide studies will show that 1 in 12 teens show signs of addictions to video games. And what are those addictions? Well, you see on the screen before you, when you spend an increased amount of time and money on video games, and you start to have to increase that to feel the same level of excitement. In other words, the old game never does it anymore. The old system is having the same response within me. I'm not as happy as I used to be. I'm irritable or restless when I have to scale back. When, when my parents get on to me, when my wife tells me I should be out in the yard mowing instead of sitting in my chair playing on my phone. When I use the video game to escape problems, I skip chores or homework to spend time at the controller. And when I lie about the amount of time, all of those are signs of addictions to video games. Now, how do addictions work? You see, your brain is an interesting playground. And while I am not a a scientist by any means, I will tell you this. My undergraduate degree is in science. I did not want to become a preacher. I wanted to become an orthopedic surgeon. Football was always big to us. I went into athletic training. That is my degree from Middle Tennessee State University. I had the opportunity to dissect a cadaver at the College of William and Mary. I've had some really cool classes, but I am by no means an expert on the brain. But here's what I do know. Your brain has some wonderful chemicals that we love. You love, and I introduced this to you last night, the chemical dopamine is a beautiful chemical 
in your brain. But it is a very scary chemical in your brain. It is the chemical that is released and that is wanting to be received on the other end. You see, in your brain, in your neurons, you have what are called gaps. And in order to bridge those gaps, there are chemicals that are sent back and forth between those gaps that relay messages. And sometimes those messages are, that is good. I really like that. And so what happens is in that particular gap, you have dopamine being released and you have dopamine being received. I would love to tell you that dopamine only is released upon good behavior. Right? When your child sits up at the table and you praise them, their brain goes, whoosh, dopamine. Or maybe when you say, go clean your room, and they go clean their room, and you go in and say, thank you for cleaning your room, and their brain goes, whoosh, dopamine. Truth of the matter is this. Dopamine can be released when you do well at a video game. Dopamine can be released when you get to sit down and watch that television show. Dopamine can be released when you're listening to your favorite music. And here's what's interesting about dopamine. The release of dopamine actually is triggered in training the brain. It's been described this way, and we'll get into some of this tomorrow night. But it's been described this way. Have you ever seen water flow over the ground? Water flows over the ground and it finds the pathway of least resistance. That's why erosion can occur, ditches will be formed, channels will be formed because water will find the pathway of least resistance. Dopamine is the same. If you've conditioned your brain to release the dopamine based upon certain triggers, then you actually have to condition your brain to do something other than that. That's why they will tell you that it takes 28 to 30 days to break a habit. Because it takes your brain that long to start rewiring the release of dopamine. So, if you find yourself irritable when you don't get to play your video games, or you find yourself irritable when you didn't get to watch your show, that ought to be signs that within your body you have trained and conditioned your body a certain way. The addictions to media are the same in the sense of the dopamine being released and the channels being created as if an individual were taking cocaine or if individuals were taking methamphetamines. You would love me to say, no, 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 no. Those are different. No, I didn't say your your video game is at the same level as cocaine. But I said your brain processes dopamine and the reward base of dopamine in the same manner. That's why media can fall under what's called addictions. And that's why when it comes to media... And addictions, we can't talk about media with talking about the impact of these little devices that many of us carry within our pockets. It's interesting in this particular study that the top devices ranked by those of the millennial generation. Now, I told you the millennials are the, are the young adults, right? They're the ones having children now. That the telephone was the number one, and it's not even called a telephone anymore. The fact that I called it that shows it's dated, Right? Cell phones, smartphones are the number one desired device all the way down to at the very bottom, the least desirable device are television at 7%. You know why televisions are the least desired amongst the millennials and the Generation Z generations? Because they don't need television sets anymore. You want to know why? Because I have a television right here. You know why they don't need the television? Because I have a television right here. This is the number one place that they they watch media. This is the number one place they consume all levels of videos. Number one area that they even play games on. And the number one area that they listen to music. I guarantee you this. They're not going in the rooms on the whole and pulling out a boom box. Do you remember what a boom box was? They're not going up to the receiver and hitting the button and turning that real big knob... And then adjusting the equalizer, they're not doing that because they don't have to. And neither do I. That's why when we really look at this particular issue, we've got to consider media from the standpoint of what really is going on. When young people look at their their phones and the reasons they use them, the top three reasons that they use their phones are right there on the screen before you. Now, I find it quite interesting because you'll notice what is not on the screen in the top three reasons they use their phone. You know what's not on the screen? Hello? Hello? 
That's not why these are bought. They're not bought to talk on. As a matter of fact, the number one communication of choice amongst young generation is not even this. It's what? That's right. And some can carry on multiple conversations at the same time. They can be talking to you and typing over here and not miss a beat. Right? Now, is that good or bad? It's neither here nor there. This is not a good or bad thing. It just is a real thing. Cell phones are serious when it comes to where they're getting their media. Now, here's what is interesting. The same study would say that 50% of teens feel that they're addicted to their phones. These right here, and I know that you may not can read them, so I will. Out of this particular study, a 13-year-old said this, I would rather not eat for a week than get my phone taken away. It's really bad. I literally feel like I'm going to die. Another individual, 13-year-old girl, said this, When I get my phone taken away, I feel kind of naked. I do feel kind of empty without my phone. You want to try something? This is a really neat trick. Go to church camp and have all the kids put their phones in a pail, a bucket, and then say, you can get that back at the end of the week. And then show up at the end of the week and see what happens when the bucket is placed before a bunch of teenagers who went a whole week without their phones. It's quite interesting. I don't know if that happens at Maywood or not, does it? It's very interesting to see that because it's almost like they've missed out on life. They need to hurry up and get on social media. Who's doing what? Who said what? Who posted what? I'm out of the loop. And in all of that, you look at that and go, why do they feel so drawn? And the answer is because over half of them say that they believe they're addicted. 72% of teens feel they need to immediately respond to text, social networking messages, and other notifications. You ever heard of Pavlov's dog? Some of you have heard of Pavlov's dog. If you have not, you will in Psychology 101. Pavlov's dog was a science experiment uh, a long time ago where they wanted to see if you could make a dog salivate just simply by a sound. And so what they did is they trained this dog by a bell and meat. And every time the bell rung, the dog got meat. Every time the bell rung, the dog got food. Every time the bell rung, the dog got food. Well, eventually what they started to do was they started ringing the bell but not giving food. And you know what they recognized? That the dog had the same response physically to the bell every time. The dog would start to salivate because it associated the bell with food. It had become conditioned. Salivating wasn't based upon the food. It was based upon the bell. Have you ever been in an environment where somebody's bell goes off and seen everybody check? Who is that? Is that me? Right? You ever been laying in bed and the bell goes off? Right? And the lights are off. You and your spouse are, 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 are almost asleep. But that bell goes off and you can set what bell it is. Maybe it was the, the Facebook bell. Maybe it was the text message bell. And buddy, we'll roll over and we'll get that bell because we feel the need to immediately respond. I think it's quite interesting that when we really look at what's going on, the majority of parents feel that their teens spend too much time on those devices. But here's what's interesting. It's not just a teen issue. Adults, we've got to be real with ourselves on this one. We have a problem too. And one of the interesting things about the addiction and helping teenagers overcome the addictions are that when you really look at what the experts are saying... How can you help your teenagers when it comes to the addictions that they have to media? Number one, you've got to, you've got to model what you expect. You can't tell them not to be on the phone all the time if you're on the phone all the time. You can't tell them that they need to be careful if you're not being careful. It also goes on to say this, that you need to set limits. Set limits with your children. Set limits with yourself. And I will offer this to you now, the phones and the operating systems on the phones. They come where you can do that. And if you don't know how to do that, there are other devices that will help. One of those happens to be what's called the Disney Circle. I can explain that to you later. But you can actually set up your entire house on the Disney Circle. And you can set up the Internet to a specific device. And if I am here in Haleyville, but I want to pause the device to my son's video game up in Florence... From this phone, I can turn the internet off to his video game from this phone. When I go to bed at night, I can cut the internet off to my entire house 
Now, here's the problem. Phones don't just operate on Internet. Phones operate on cell phone service. So parents, don't forget, if you say, well, I'm going to turn off the Internet, and yet you think your son or your daughter may not be on the phone, remember, they have cell phone data. And there are other things that we can do for that, right? Now, the goal, here's the reality, the goal is not to, is not to make it such like a, a prison, right? Some people say, well, I want my children to learn to operate within respectable bounds. I want them to learn to police themselves. I want the, and guess what? We do too. That's the goal because one day they're going to be out of our house, right? But here's what I also know. I know that it's up to me to set boundaries in my home. It's up to me to make sure there are no breaches in the wall so that Satan doesn't come in and uh, attack us, at least to the best of my ability. That's up to me as the spiritual leader of my home. And you better be, be certain that if the devil gets one of my kids, it won't be because I didn't fight. It won't be because I was, I was ignorant. It, it, it won't be because I didn't care. You see, when you think about the phones, you've got to realize something, that it really is an addiction issue. I want you to know this, that the media needs to be considered from a relationship standpoint. Because media can actually cause problems in relationships. When you think about the idea of the relationship between the parent and the child, 36% of parents feel they argue with their child on a daily basis about device usage. You think about how many times you're asking your child, how many hours have you been on the phone? Have you used all your time yet? When was the last time you got up and played? Put that down. What game are you playing? What TV show are you watching? What music are you listening to? And all the while we're trying to do what we should be doing, but the idea is sometimes boundaries are not received well. Young people, I want to tell you this. If your parents or your grandparents are trying to set boundaries, you need to understand they are accountable before God for the way they parent you. They are accountable before God. They will stand accountable before God, not for your choices, but for their parenting. And that's to be taken very serious. So give them a break. Because you can actually make their job easy or hard. You think about, though, it's not just relationship with parents that come about. I want you to think about this idea. 57% of teenagers say they have met a new friend online. And this is one of the things that's very scary when it comes to media. Media is not just about music and it's not just about fun games. It's not just about the video off of Netflix or Hulu or Amazon Prime or YouTube. It's also about the other people on the web. There's a particular game area, game site called Roblox. And I know that there's a lot that could be said about this and, and that's been said. But I thought it was quite interesting on this particular, this particular headline that in a game setting for children, there were actually sexual predators who were seeking young children. Now, you've heard of those before, too. And that's what some of us look at that and say, well, that's scary to know that there are those bad people that it doesn't just have to be my child was walking down the street and somebody was there that was a sexual predator, that it can actually be online as well. And I need to be aware of that. I will tell you this. In my house, we don't play Roblox. Um, now, I know you can turn off the chat area, right? I know you can. I'm very cautious with who I want my kids interacting with, though, on the Internet. I want to I want to know at least something about them. I want to know where they're coming from. I want to know who they're connected with. Now, here's what's sad. On the Internet, you can be whoever you want to be. So a, a child predator could, for, could front themselves as somebody else. And that's what's so scary when some parents just say, Here, let me unlock it and give it to my 8-year-old kid without having any boundaries set. See, as parents and grandparents, we've got to be more, we've got to be better than that. We've got to be more engaged. We've got to be more knowledgeable about what's going on. I do want to show you this though, because when you think about those that are being met online, relatively few, not very many, according to the Pew Research Center of American teens have met a romantic partner online. However, I will tell you this, social media, social media is the top venue for flirting online flirting you and I look at that and say yeah we flirted in the soda shop 
right? We flirted at the movie theater. We flirted in school hallways. And the flirting happens all over. But I need you to understand this as well. Social media has introduced a different concept of flirting. Because for some reason, it's seen as secretive. As some reason, it's seen as safe. And when you look at that, you start thinking about the idea of talking to someone online in such a way that would solicit romantic feelings. You've got to understand, oftentimes, the snowball doesn't stop at innocent flirting. I've had teachers of fifth graders come up to me when I've presented on the media about teenage or, or fifth grade girls who would sneak off to the bathroom during school hours and take a, a topless photo of themselves and send it to high school boys. There have been games that have been been floated around within the news stories of, of pictures that have been sent. And if you can guess who that is on the picture, then that comes with benefits. And that's all I'm going to say about that. Reality is social media is an interesting playground. When you think about the relational aspect, it's not just did they meet their spouse online, did they have innocent fun online, it's also about the emotional well-being. Because in our society today, relationships can either be helped or hurt by a little button that's called like and share. As a matter of fact, I recently saw in Canada that Instagram is going to be moving towards getting rid of their like button Because studies are showing now that emotional well-being of young people, especially when they go online after posting a photo or making a post on social media, they're interested in who liked their page, who liked their post, and who shared their post. And if little Susie over here posted something and Johnny liked her picture, but I liked Johnny, but Johnny didn't like my picture, then all of a sudden that simple playground has caused hardship within my life. See, we're just now getting studies out on this stuff. Facebook's talking about potentially moving in that same direction. Of course, you know Facebook and Instagram and WhatsApp, they're owned by the same entity. Maybe you didn't know that. They are owned by the same entity. But it's interesting to talk about the emotional well-being. But I also want you to know this. It's not just social media where relationships are either fostered or destroyed or jealousy or anxiety comes about. Teenage girls seem to be the ones out of all the teenage population that gravitate towards social media. Teenage boys seem to gravitate more towards video games. However, even within the video games today, there are chat sites. There is communication that can take place. And they can actually serve in some way as social media. It's very interesting and worthy of you being informed. Because at the end of the day, the goal is that we want to make sure our children's hearts are guarded. And in guarding those hearts, it's also about guarding their emotional well-being. That's why when you think about how often we use these phones, folks, we're using these phones regularly, and teenagers, not just in social media, but even when it comes to text, up to 30 times a day. Now, I'm not so sure adults aren't doing more than that, or at least the same amount. It's quite interesting how much a part of our life these have become. So when it comes down to it, the last concept that I want you to think about, not only the purpose, not only the idea of addiction, not only the idea of relationships, but I want you to think about the mental and emotional well-being that is affected by media. Studies will reveal, and this is a particular sociologist, Robert Ferris, who would talk about the concept of bullying over the, the usage of media. And he would go on to say this, there's a lot of anxiety about what's going on online when they're not actually online, so that leads to compulsive checking. He'll go on to say that 61% of teens said they want to see if their online posts are getting likes and comments. 36% of teens want to know what their friends are doing. 21% of teens said they wanted to make sure no one was saying mean things about them. Now, I want you to put real faces with those numbers. And I want you to think about this. Six out of ten. Six out of ten go online to see if people are liking or sharing their post. When it comes down to it, greater than three out of ten are talking about wanting to see what their friends are doing and making sure that they're not doing something fun without them. So they feel left out. 20%, roughly 20% 
So they wanted to make sure nobody was saying mean things. You recognize that's one out of every five children believe they need to go online just to see if people are saying mean things about them. You see, in our society today, it seems to be that the concept of bullying and the concept of emotional well-being of young people is talked about quite a bit. And we talked a little bit about that last night in dealing with depression. And I'll show you the link here even tonight. Because studies will say this, that young people, when they, they are, 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 are interested in what's being said about them online and they're interested about who's doing what, this particular article from CNN would use terms like they become distressed. You want to know why teenagers have mood swings? Because Dr. Evil pituitary gland, that's why. Because hormones kick in at an age and they're trying to figure out how those hormones work and their bodies are changing. But do you want to know something interesting about today's digital natives? That's what they're called, digital natives. Your generation's not called digital natives. You're called digital immigrants. I am a digital immigrant. You know what that means? I remember when Al Gore created the Internet. Okay? That was a joke. Unless you really believe Al Gore created the Internet, okay? Then you just believe that. I'm fine with that. I remember the days of dial-up. Right? I had to learn how to use technology. Young people today were born into a generation where many three-year-olds may know more than some of the grandparents. They're digital natives. And what's interesting is this, something that is key and fundamental about the digital natives. Not only are they dealing with Dr. Evil pituitary gland, they are dealing with the unnecessary anxiety of being a digital native. It really is a different world. That's why when you see signs like this and you see text messaging that goes out, it's not just what happens in school hallways. It's what happens over cell phones and it's what happens over the Internet. What happens in real life and it really hurts. Nearly 43% of kids have been bullied online. Do you recognize that in this congregation, that's almost half of your children have been bullied online? Or they have been the one that has done the bullying, and I would not want to think that about any of your offspring. That means this, some of the kids that sit in your Bible classes have been bullied most likely. When you look at the idea of 81% of young people think bullying online is easier to get away with than bullying in person, you begin to understand why this is such an issue today. It's been described by a police officer at one time as a city without any law enforcement because nobody's there to intercept the text. Nobody's there to take it off of the social media. And I guarantee you when it goes on social media, it will show up in the school hallway. That's why this is so serious. And that's why, ultimately, I will tell you this, why you and I must be engaged. Because media plays directly into the emotional well-being of your children and your grandchildren. This particular journal, I'm not going to go through it. You can look it up. It's called Depression and Anxiety. It would talk about the impact that social media is having on the depressive state of young people. I told you that the statistic is roughly one out of every eight teenagers have been clinically or could be clinically diagnosed as depressed. If you thought that was high, there's a reason it's so high today. And it's not just a preacher on a soapbox. There's documentation behind it. In my briefcase that's out in the hallway, I printed off journals, JAMA, Journal of American Medical Association, pediatric journal articles regarding the impacts of social media. Folks, they have no religious bone. They're not about religion. They are about simply studying it from the standpoint of how is this really affecting our families? They're seeing over and over again. Wives, let me ask you a question. Do you feel yourself anxious? Do you feel yourself having anxiety? Do you feel yourself maybe being depressed? I will offer this to you. The only reason I say to wives, it seems that that's a, 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 a subset that seems to spend a lot of time with social media. Do you know that studies are revealing the more time you spend with social media, the higher levels of anxiety exist in your life? Lower levels of self-esteem, higher levels of anxiety. You want to come to an even kill? You want to get rid of some of the anxiety in your life? Don't take it from a religious perspective. Take it from a clinical perspective. Your amount of time that you spend on social media plays directly into that. Men, you too. You want to sleep better? Guess what? Quit looking at your phone when you're in bed. The blue light actually messes with your melatonin. 
Those aren't religious statements. That's facts. It's even been said that people who sleep with their phone right next to their bed, they don't sleep as soundly as individuals who do not have their phone next to their bed. You don't have to take my word for it. I'm just merely throwing things out there for you to consider. But I do want you to know this. We know for a fact that social media and media in general has a way of manipulating moods and emotions. Facebook got in trouble not long ago because of what they were doing. They were reading, what the, they were paying attention to social media profiles. And what they were doing is they were actually manipulating the ads and they were manipulating what you saw. And there was a big hubbub about that. And the idea was they were doing it to see if they could influence the emotions of the individuals who would look. And therefore the emotions when it came to buying. And you know what they found out was this. They absolutely could control. Folks, I, I need you to know something. The media, and and, and I have an entire seminar that is just on video games and just on social media and just on TV and just on music. Tonight, there's no way in one setting I could give you all four of those lessons. So I want you to know this. There's good evidence behind this statement. Just because the Bible says it, I'm telling you there is evidence within society that backs it. Whatever you put in your heart, it will flow forth. Whatever your children put in their heart, it will flow forth. Whatever you men allow into your heart, it will come out. And whatever you ladies allow into your heart, it will come out. That's why the Bible's very clear. You better guard your heart. You better guard it like it's everything. Because you know what? It is. Jesus would say it. What will a man change for his soul, right? Is the soul that valuable? When you begin to understand the biblical concept of the inner man, you begin to understand that's what this verse is about. And I guess what I'm coming to you tonight and saying is this, in the limited amount of time, and I appreciate your patience, it's this, if we're going to learn to discern media then we cannot bury our head in the sand. And we've got to recognize that this is a spiritual battle that we are fighting. Why do you set boundaries for your children? Just because you want them to know that you have the authority to do so? Nope, because you want them in heaven. Why do you make sure you set boundaries for yourself? I'm hitting the button. There it is. Why do you put boundaries for yourself? Is it because it... It's just good for your relationships here on this earth? No, that's a major thing, but you want to go to heaven. Why should you care what your spouse is watching, what your spouse is doing when it comes to media? Because you want them to go to heaven. This is a spiritual battle. It looks like media, but I am telling you, if you think for one minute that Satan is still wearing sandals and he still has on an undergarment and an outer garment... And he's still walking on dirt roads between Jericho and Jerusalem. If that's your concept of Satan, then you are out of touch with reality. Satan understands that media is available to him. Media, I'm not against it. But I am also not going to be naive. And that's because I have four children. Aaron and I are blessed with four kids. And when I pray for them, my prayer is that they will love the Lord and that they will seek Him. And when I think about parenting them, I'm not perfect. You're not looking at a perfect guy. So if you think for one minute, well, in his house, then the media is all taken care of. No, we have conversations along the way. And sometimes I'm consistent and sometimes I'm inconsistent. But my goal is that my children's hearts will be guarded against the fiery arrows of Satan. Tonight, this lesson is not necessarily designed to call you to come into a relationship with God. But it is designed to cause you to to reflect upon your situation at home. 
It is about you evaluating what's going on in your house, in your family, with your kids, with your grandchildren, with your spouse. It is about engaging in a spiritual warfare. Because there are no, there are no individuals that take timeouts in this. Either you are equipped and ready to fight, or you are already dead on the battlefield. Tonight, this, this invitation is about maybe you making changes where you stand. Maybe it's about you going home and going through your movies and saying, why do we have a rated R movie in our house? A lot of people don't know this, but back in the 60s, the rating systems changed. What is rated R today, before the current rating system, it used to be rated X. Did you know that? And so we justify that and say, well, it's only rated R, and I'm not a, I'm not a kid, but you need to understand something. It's only rated R because the rating system changed. Not because it's innocent. You know what that tells you as well? What is rated PG-13 today used to be rated what? R. And yet we'll argue, well, society says it's good for 13-year-olds. Come on, parents. Come on, grandparents. We cannot let society drive the train anymore. God has called you and I to be holy people. That means something other than I wear a coat and a tie and I show up to church. A holy nation set apart for His purpose. Tonight, maybe that's your invitation. Maybe it's realizing that even though you've done some things right, maybe this is the breach in your wall and Satan's been having a heyday in your family. Maybe it's time to make some changes at home. I don't know. Maybe that change needs to be maybe public. Maybe it needs to be the prayers, asking for the prayers of the church. Always we want you to know if you're not a child of God tonight that you can put your hand in the hand of Jesus. You'll simply confess Him as Lord, repent of your sins, and be baptized for the remission of your sins. Raised to walk a newness of life, forever changed. But that means you can't continue to do what the old man did because you're raised in newness of life.